Look alive, sunshine. The question is not when you're gonna stop, but who is gonna stop you. The electric centaur, the democrat, the revolution will not be televised. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Christine Phelan. Phelan? Phelan. Phelan. Phelan, who is a love witch. She's a tarot reader. She's a writer. And she's the creator of the Allurium, which is uh, it's a system of astral courtship to handle all of your love and sex questions, needs, concerns, lifestyle choices. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. So... <laughs> So t- before we get into the movie, which we'll be reviewing today, which is um, The Witch, uh, which I thought was really appropriate to have someone who actually is, uh, as they say, out of the broom closet. <laughs> yes. but tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit for those who may not have a, a deeper understanding of what witchcraft is or um, specifically love witchcraft and, and sort of some of the systems you believe in, your background. Let everyone know a little bit about where you're coming from. And then we can sort of dovetail into your thoughts on how witchcraft was portrayed in The Witch. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So um, for me, I think that one of the beautiful things about witchcraft is that it can be whatever you need it to be at the time. And for me, witchcraft is a way of um, taking responsibility for your life and the energies in your life and creating whatever you want. Um, so I, I like the idea of love magic in particular because you can take responsibility for yourself, for the partners you choose, and you can also harness a little bit of extra energy from, from the universe and you know whatever you believe in to create um, a love life that feels like magic. Which, which so many people are missing, right? You hear all the time people who are in, especially if you're on social media, which you should not be if you can avoid it. But um, <laughs> you see all the time people are in relationships that are mundane or chaotic, worse, even worse, you know, filled mm-hmm. with drama and distrust. Um, and it's, 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 I feel like it's a strong need that people are looking for to introduce a little mysticism into their romance, a little bit of uh, poetry, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think definitely romance and the magic seems to be dwindling a little bit these days. Yeah. I think that the, the rules for dating are just changing up anyway, like um, the standards and expectations and everything. They're changing in a really good way, but also some of the magic is being lost along the way. So, Agreed. Yeah. It gets, it's uh, maybe as a, a, a sad byproduct of how um, computerized everything's become, yes. you know, like even most people are dating, it's a, it's a swipe of an app or it's a, you know, it's a click of a like, and it's a very, there's a, the personal interaction has been reduced in a way that I do think kind of strips some of that, some of that, like you said, ma- magic out of, out of the courtship aspect of, of romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So do you call, like, so I, like for me, like I always struggled with the term Wicca. I don't know. It's because mm-hmm. of m- when I grew up, you know, Wicca was sort of like, um, it's kind of like Mogoths, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or, or I guess <laughs> the more modern term now that people use is like a city witch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, is that a term <laughs> that you uh, use to sort of describe your practices or do you just um, refer to it as witchcraft? I'm like you. I just like, I don't know. There's a part of me. I don't, I definitely don't refer to myself as Wiccan. And there's a part of me that like, I don't know, sees it as this trendy thing and therefore doesn't want to like it. But at the end of the day, Wicca is based on, you know, Alistair Crowley's teachings, almost solely on Crowley's beliefs. So um, there, there really isn't anything wrong with it. And um, there's certain parts of it that inspire me, but I'm definitely eclectic witch, if anything, a love witch, but that doesn't really, <laughs> re- well, it, it exists in my world. You know, I right. create what I want. So <laughs> it, it's a, it's definitely a specialty, but it's not the the yeah. whole encompassing of your practice. So what would be some of the things that you sort of follow and you practice and you uh, exercise in your day-to-day life? Okay. So the things that I, uh, 
combine in my personal practice and in the Lorium um, are hermeticism, mm -hmm. um, especially um, Franz Bardon's system. Um, I also incorporate quite a bit of alchemy and um, a few other Eastern belief systems. But I think that alchemy and hermeticism are my two biggest influences. Yeah, and absolutely influence from Golden Dawn and Crowley and sort of that mm -hmm. um, sort of magicianship. Yeah. Uh, we should at some point have you back to do The Love Witch, which would be appropriate, which we saw together, actually. Yeah, that at was the new so, Beverly. That was so fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> but last yeah. week I did, a, I did a show with the director, Jude S. Walco, and we talked about um, his movie, The Incantation. And in that film, one of the central themes was sort of uh, choosing your own nature, your true mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that a movie that would be a nice sort of um, follow-up to that would be The Witch, which has some mm -hmm. uh, some similar themes in some ways, um, but from a very different perspective. And, you know, one of the things when you practice any form of the occult, whether it be being a magician or a witch or uh, any of those sort of, you know, new age, not even new age, but the things that exist outside of maybe the mainstream, um, paganism, uh, they've always been represented and, and most of people's perceptions of what these things are are based on what they see in hokey horror films. And uh, while I really, really love The Witch as a film, um, it certainly portrays witches in a very specific light. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Which is why when I first finished the movie... Actually, a friend called and I, <laughs> I was like, I don't even want to talk right now. I'm really grumpy <laughs> because, <laughs> because, yeah, like here we are seeing a movie where witchcraft is just being completely demonized and portrayed in just such a negative way. I mean, eventually I changed my mind about the film um, after thinking about the symbolism a little bit more. But yeah. <laughs> so, like, as you were watching it, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, this is an older movie, so I don't really think we need the spoilers, but in case you haven't seen it, spoilers. <laughs> um, the witches in The Witch, they're largely portrayed as, you know, the, the old tropes, right? The, the old hag, uh, living in the woods, killing babies, sacrifice, <laughs> human sacrifice, you know, uh, signed contracts with the devil, it's very evident that the that the director Robert Eggers pulled from um, like old Nan tells, you know, mm. the, the spooky stories you tell your your kids so they go to sleep at night, and not necessarily from anything rooted in actual historical practices. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, exactly, and that's what was really annoying to me. I feel like if you were to I mean, who knows? I, I don't know. I've heard about some pretty strange things happening 100, 200 years ago, and obviously before then. But like, um, I feel like if you found yourself in the middle of any coven or satanic cult today, they would like <laughs> totally kick you out for eating a hamburger, you know? Right. Most of them are vegan. Like, so let alone like eating babies. Like, <laughs> right, right. No, yeah, it's uh, very outdated. But I think that it's definitely, um, I, and it was annoying, but I guess we are seeing the witch through the eyes of um, the Puritan family. So That's right. And that, yeah. that's a central theme in it is, is that, um, I mean, when I got to the end of the film, I thought, you know, there could be a way to perceive this film is that the witches don't actually exist. That they, that they, you know, I mean, it's a little tough at the very, very end, but like it almost could work if it left it more up to the imagination as to how real these, these sort of, uh, you know, tropes are, because it's definitely the way that people of that culture would have viewed witches. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that uh, they did leave a lot up to, um, the audience's imagination and very open to interpretation. So I did appreciate that, but um, yeah, I mean, in the end, I, it was almost more of like, 
a uh, almost like a coming of age story slash family right. drama than it was um, an actual horror story. You you could look at it that way. Um, Absolutely. In in fact, I think that the witch, you know, that the title refers to is not the the quote unquote old hags in the forest, um, but actually it's Thomason. It's the young girl mm-hmm. who's uh, almost of age, and whose parents, you know, her entire family unit is chaotic to say the least. You know, her father um, and mother have a discussion at one point where they talk about selling her to another family because she's of age. And because she's very beautiful, she's developing to a young woman that they actually see her feminine energy as a threat, as mm-hmm. something as a as a burden, mm-hmm. you know. And um and and they actually, you know, va- you know, treat her like a commodity. Yeah. And she very much is sort of that throughout it. Um, and for them existing in such a with such a pious attitude, the sort of very extreme puritanical Christianity, all the other members of her family have a very, um, a very highlighted sin attached to them. Like the father is very prideful and the mother is very wrathful. And uh, her young, oldest, oldest youngest brother is lustful to the point where he's lusting after his sister. And then the two twins, they're deceitful. They constantly lie. You know, so like everyone around her, all these people who are proposed to be holy actually are pretty steeped in sin. And she, up until the very end of the movie, actually really is genuinely has a connection with a a divine source, with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And that made me think of um, the moment that I eventually switched to hating the movie to liking a little bit because I did start to see the witch as um, a symbol of everyone's shadow self, for lack of a better uh-huh. term. And um, I thought it was interesting the way um, in the movie you see how the shadow self can either be controlled and harnessed for, you know, to, to improve yourself and be empowered, or... Um, if you don't, if you aren't able to handle it correctly, it just consumes you. Right. In the case of the um, of the oldest son, so right. um, I think some sometimes people, well, sometimes people fight and deny those inner feelings and just try to block them out, and in the end, those things end up consuming you. So, um, like the boy. Absolutely. I thought it was very symbolically telling that he's choking on a rotted apple, right? Like yeah. He, the, 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 he partook of the fruit. Um, but for people who might not know, what describe what a shadow shelf is. What, what, when you uh, so, shadow self, like what, what are you meaning as it relates to this film and in general? Okay. The shadow self, I would say, is everything that you don't want the world to see. So all the things that you feel like you would be horribly judged for, the things that you feel really painfully guilty about. Um, yeah, I, um, it's those things that you try to de- deny are part of you. But it's kind of like the law of attraction. The more you really focus on denial and like the more energy you give to trying to block it out, the more energy you kind of feed it in a way. Absolutely instead of just kind of accepting it and working with it calmly, um, you know, it, it's a complicated issue that I, <laughs> that I'll be doing a lot of writing on in the future, but, um, well, like but you yeah. take the, the young boy, her, her brother, mm-hmm. you know, he's, I don't know his exact age, but he's, a, he's obviously he's of age where he's starting to notice the, the female form mm-hmm. and, rather than being in an environment where he can express himself genuinely, where he can discuss it with his parents, where he can explore it in a healthy manner, you know, he's peeping his sister, you know, he's he's got these sort of um, (laughs) lustful thoughts in a way that in a, in a very inappropriate direction Mm -hmm. and and he can't discuss it. And it's not, it's not something that he ever would. So it's buried deep within. And ultimately, like you said, because he buries what should normally be a very 
um, healthy part of growing up, which is discovering your sexuality, it, it eventually ends in his downfall. Yeah, that was so horrible. And it was really sad for me to watch because I think that I felt the most sympathy for him in the movie because you could see that he was like really struggling with that as well. He was like fighting against the beliefs of his family even when he went to the woods with his dad. This kind of, this kind of shifts into another issue of like um, what's called the golem effect. Like what you believe about someone, they will eventually, um, exhibit those traits so if you grew up in a family where they believe that you're evil then you'll eventually and they tell you you are evil you you will eventually like act out in that way right Um, and so he in the forest with his dad he kind of challenges or tries to like challenge that that fact by saying well was my baby brother really like sinful and the dad talks about yeah we are like inherently sinful and so that kind of weakens him in a way. And I think that that just kind of like lets him become consumed by his guilt and all his shadow self even, even more, you know? Right. The, the temptation is something that he gives into. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. represented with him choking on a, a rotted apple, which is an obvious allusion to the Garden of Eden. In fact, yeah. you, could, you could argue that the entire family has been cast out when they are being forced out of their plantation, when they're excommunicated from their, their belief system. Mm-hmm. They're essentially, you know, the family unit rep- is represented by Adam and Eve in some ways, or maybe maybe specifically Adam, right? Yeah. Um, and they're cast out outside of their paradise to sort of fend for themselves. Um, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that what you what people think about you can often give way to you exhibiting those behaviors, you know? So like if Mm -hmm. you're seen as the black sheep of your family or the black goat in this instance, if you're, (laughs) um, you know, not taken seriously, if you're not respected, um, if in, in this instance, if you're being called a witch by your family, the people who are closest to you, you can Mm -hmm. start to understand. Cause I've seen some debate about, whether or not the ending is an uplifting, like empowering one, like does Thomason, is, is she free? Is she like discovering her true self or is she just entering into a different kind of servitude? Mm, that's a really good question. And I think that that, I don't have a perfect answer and I don't, I think that um, today's culture really loves black and white issues and black right. and white thinking, but I, I don't think that there's a black and white answer for this. I think it's a little bit of both. I felt I was happy for her. I was also really sad because I don't think, I, yeah, I actually still am not quite sure what to think about that ending. <laughs> right. And, and it's oh. a little bit like Midsummer. Have you seen Midsummer? I haven't. Okay, I won't spoil that, but um, there's some common themes there. So, so that's one of the things. So when I was watching the film, I was a little disappointed that right out the bat, they established that the witches in the forest are at least to some degree bad, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. There's always like a, a moral grayness that can exist, but when you kill a baby or a dog, that usually plants you pretty firmly in the, in the camp of the wicked, right? Yeah. So, so there's no there's – no, ambiguity when it comes to the witches as far as being good or not um you know like if the witches had killed the father maybe you give some leeway maybe the mother for sure but an innocent baby for for the for a spell to fly that seems like that crosses most people's moral boundaries so it does leave it ambiguous because if you look at the way thomason comes to join this coven she's left without options you know, throughout the film, we see that first her, her you know, infant brother is captured by, uh, is stolen by a witch and, and is mashed up and is used for some sort of ritual to create elevation. You know, then her brother is seduced by another witch and he's given illness and eventually dies. His, her two siblings accuse her of witchcraft and essentially fake that they've been possessed of some sort or influenced. Her mother is cruel to her throughout the entire thing. And her father, while relatively sympathetic to her, 
shows to be pretty gutless and spineless and has allowed her to take the heat multiple times out of his own fear of being exposed of, you know, not, not fulfilling the, the patriarchal, you know, standard that the man of the household would be like the hunter gatherer. Mm-hmm. He's actually pretty terrible at both. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to the end, most of her, all of her family's pretty much dead. You know, she's killed her mother and she's given a choice. She, she's either going to go back to the plantation where given the time period, she's most likely going to be tried as a witch, which almost always ends in death. Right. It's sort of an irony oh, of yeah. it is like, if you're, um, you know, if we throw stones at you and you die, you're not a witch, but you're dead. And mm-hmm. if we, if we throw stones at you and you live, well, then you're a witch and we'll put you to death. So it's a lose-lose yeah. situation. Or uh, this goat, which has transformed into Captain Jack Sparrow, is offering <laughs> you a deal to go be part of this tribe that ate at least, or at least killed two of your family members. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit of a lose-lose decision. I know. It would have been so much better if, like, she had, I mean, okay, the death of her family members aside, it would have been better if she had another safe choice because then it could have been looked at from the angle of, well, she's choosing, unlike everyone else, to walk away from from patriarchal society and choosing to um, take control of her life and her own shadow self, you know, and all the darkness there and, and go down that path. Um, so... I, and, but it still can be seen in that way, I think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm still torn. <laughs> it's, it's tricky because, unfortunately, uh, and maybe this is the point, a, a lot of young women of that time period and today really just don't have the choice. Certainly yeah. back then, you know. Yeah. Um, the society was engineered in such a way where superstition – over overruled reason and if given the choice between being most certainly killed by your peers or getting to live a life full of decadence albeit maybe morally gray if not you know cross totally crossing the line um it's a tough choice but and and it and maybe the choice that she makes is the most freeing one but I, I also think it's not it's definitely not a fairy tale ending. It's not a happily ever after. It's um there is something lost in this deal as much as there is something gained. Definitely. Yeah. Um and I mean yeah, and it just makes me wonder what the true intention of the director was. Like what he I mean, I don't know. I, I should have uh looked into this a little bit more before before this but um but yeah i wonder what he intended the the ending to mean i i know that the uh satanic temple uh-huh. endorsed the movie right um and really like just really loved it so i am curious like why that is again i'm so surprised like i just don't feel like it is in line with views of occultism, Satanism, like which right. So I, I don't think it is either. I mean, it's. I mean, look, it's very rooted in the fables of Or. I don't think that it tried to give a fair representation of witchcraft, mm-hmm. either modern witchcraft or witchcraft, you know, paganism of the day. I think it used the old scary stories we're used to, and it tried to tell a more complex story with them. Mm-hmm. But um, you know. I think a lot of people interpret it as like, yeah, fuck her family. She's free. But it's like, yeah, but they kill babies and they, you know, <laughs> they seduce young boys and um, that baby, you know, like, I, like as a witch, how often do you mash up babies, cover your, your body with it and then start flying? Well, I know. And I mean, and not only like, that's not even how like the flying worked. I mean, are we allowed to talk about anything? <laughs> You're talking about whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know the whole broomstick and flying thing, like what that was really about. You know um, the, the. So I I heard the as far as the iconography is concerned, um, <laughs> that 
oftentimes brooms, I think it was brooms, were used as a symbol for breweries. Okay. And that uh, mm. the, the, the big, tall, pointy hat was what many people who worked in a brewery would wear so that you could see them. They're basically waiters or waitresses. Mm-hmm. Um, barmaids would wear these tall hats so that you could see them coming through the crowd. And um, the, the broom was just the, what was used to indicate that this was a, a place where beer was served. And that often why this was associated with, with witchcraft is that men predominantly would get drunk. They would act foolish. And then they would blame, instead of their, taking accountability for their own actions, they would mm-hmm. blame the women who had served them the alcohol as though they had somehow enchanted them to cause, um, you know, whatever destruction or whatever Ill, mm-hmm. ill-behaved mm-hmm. manners they exhibited. Interesting. Okay. See, like <laughs> the story that I grew up with is a very <laughs> different story. <laughs> and okay. now I'm going to have to like look into it afterwards. And I say grew up with, like, I mean, you know, in my years of studying witchcraft, but I was under the impression that um, <laughs> witches or w- women would would use brooms and kind of spread some kind of like psychedelic self on them. And then they would (laughs) like undress and ride, (laughs) ride their brooms. And that salve would be like somehow, (laughs) you know, it would, would be, um, would get into their system somehow. Like, like enhance the, the yeah. orgasmic feeling of it? Yeah, and it would basically, and so then they would be um, tripping out, and that's where, like, flying on a broom came from. But Interesting. I, I mean, yeah. I could definitely see that being the case as well, because, you know, as we know, sexuality is very repressed still to this day. It's a weird thing with today, because on the one hand, and I've, I've said this before, like, on the one hand, sexuality is used in your face to sell product. Mm-hmm. You want to sell a vacuum, put a, put a woman in a bikini. You want to sell a car, put a woman in a bikini. You know, you want to sell a movie, have a woman get nude in it. Um, but yet ex- healthy expression of it is frowned upon. Sex work is frowned upon. Um, I just was on Twitter and I guess there was a woman who, a very thin you know, Caucasian woman who um, at some of the protests in Oregon came naked down the street and did naked yoga in front of the cops and they backed off. It's sort of being celebrated as a, as a, um, you know, using a peaceful exhibition to deter violence. But I would be curious if that same reaction would have been the case if it was a person of color, if it was a, a person who was maybe heavier set or maybe didn't fall under the, traditional conventions of beauty as, as established by the corporations and the companies trying to sell you widgets. Yeah. I highly, I, I sadly, I really highly doubt it. And that's just proof that we have so far to go in the society. So yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I think that so much of, of ancient witchcraft, you know, as it, as it was seen during the, um, the Salem witch trials in the 17th century was, was really women stepping out of the confines of the puritanical tropes and norms and Mm -hmm. expressing themselves. So, you know, in a world where your sexuality is, is purely for procreation, going out into the woods with a, essentially a a broom sex toy covered in (laughs) psychedelics and and tripping your ball. Well, I guess not. (laughs) Tripping, uh, I mean, orgasmic tripping sounds like a pretty damn rebellious act when your entire life is encaged. Yeah, and if you you look at the movie symbolically and even the, the like, witch (laughs) uh, killing the baby and the brother, if you look at that symbolically, then banding isn't so bad. It's kind of like she... She sees it, she accepts those things in life, but she still moves forward to a place of empowerment and strength right. and freedom anyway. So, um, I mean, when that is a new opinion that's come to me even in the last 10 minutes that I didn't really think about when I was watching the film. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely she's definitely moving out of her old cage. I guess it just leaves mm-hmm. it to interpretation yeah. as to whether or not this is a because you can be encaged by your desires as much as you can be constrained by your um, restraints. So mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's, it's a it's a complex movie, and I don't know what it does for modern witchcraft in terms of what kind of light it shows it in. But but conversely, I also don't think like movie or TV shows like um, American Horror Story Coven necessarily establish what witchcraft is either. You know, it still yeah. seems like no one has really approached it from the perspective of trying to put a spotlight on it in a, in a realistic manner. Yeah, I um, and that was Again, one of the things that fueled my initial dislike of it when I um, first started watching it, I just thought, oh my gosh, this is just going to fuel everyone's, everyone who judges witchcraft or anything outside the norm. Um, this is just going to fuel their, you know, distrust and hatred and everything else. So, this and that's so frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is just going to make it worse. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's oh, awesome. Yeah. It's an awesome, beautiful film. I mean, it, it, like as a film, it's like there's there's no from a filmmaking perspective and from a creative perspective, uh, divorcing yourself from any any connections mm-hmm. it might have to real life. I have mm-hmm. no, I can't come up with a single complaint of that film. I just, oh yeah, so well done. Um, yeah. It's just, and you know, and and this was a, this is an older film. I think The Witch came out in 2016, maybe 2015. Mm-hmm. But even more recently, there was uh, what Gretel and Hansel that yeah. came off. That was a far oh, more stylistic, funny. but but very similar. Like old woman yeah. in the woods, witchcraft is evil, wants to eat kids, kind of tropes. <laughs> yeah. The the lighting, the um, the sound design on both films were just so so beautiful and so perfect. I'm um, the witch. I was instantly drawn into this world that they were creating, and um, it was yeah, it was super creepy. It was so scary to me, <laughs> just because I was so drawn into it. So I loved that. But yeah. Um, that is true about Gretel and Hansel. I, I didn't really think about that. Um, yeah, another witch who is being portrayed in this really horrible way. But again, that's kind of like a, you know, a tale that we're used to. So right. it wasn't as surprising, you know. Yeah, and, and there is something to say that you can take old tropes and you can tell new mm-hmm. stories of them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I I get the the feeling that this is really intended to be something of a um, uplifting, empowering, coming-of-age story, mm-hmm. not necessarily concerned with people's, you know, spiritual practices. And so from that perspective, I think that's yeah. really cool. You know, like, um, did you ever watch Penny Dreadful, the TV show? A little bit, but I didn't finish it. Only the first few episodes. So there's there's um, some scenes where Eva Green's character, Vanessa Ives, has some flashbacks to sort of where, you know, she ended up and... Um, she meets an old lady in the woods, kind of the old trope, right? Because I think for a lot of pagans, living in the woods and living off the land, you know, in America, we say, like, living off the land, right? Like, Henry Thoreau, like, it's, it's a Americana to think of it in those terms. But back then, to opt out of society, especially uh, a society that, that did not, you know, respect or value women, to go live off the land in the woods and to pick herbs and to do your own home remedies and... Um, uh, what is it in um, in Penny Dreadful? In fact, her sort of witchcraft teacher is someone who performs abortions, and um, you know I, I don't know what the healthcare was for women back then. I can't imagine it was very progressive, and so it would probably often be led to these women who had a innate knowledge of different herbs and and different um, holistic ways of healing to take care of women's needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I need to watch Penny Dreadful. Um, but yeah, the environment that the daughter is in and the witch is just so, so horrible. She starts off being complete, like just, just completely like this beautiful soul. And I do believe that she maintains that mostly throughout the film, but right. 
but everything that she experiences is so horrible. Not only like, um, at one point when she confronts her father about the fact that he's kind of failing at his role, he's right. you know trying to be this confident that patriarchal figure, this male figure that at the time they needed, but he's failing at that. And she kind of rises up and is the one to confront him about it and demonstrates so much like strength and intelligence in doing so. And she gets like severely reprimanded for that. And then at the same time, she has her mother who is just like both jealous and suspicious and just horrible to her. So I think that that would really turn anyone to the dark side and uh, yeah i mean yeah you definitely you definitely know what's awaiting for you back at the plantation yeah you know so why not try something different something that might in fact um be a life more delicious you know in a lot of ways (laughs) one that it actually indulges i mean again if if women are out there tripping on their sex toy brooms it certainly seems favorable (laughs) to being um tried as a witch in in whatever quote unquote civilization exists back home. But they it's like <laughs> it's like Hollywood can't let witches be like as as great and amazing as they truly are. Otherwise like they would be responsible for like <laughs> the entire world turning Seriously. into witches. Like <laughs> like it is one of those things that's really tough, right? You just don't get that. Like I guess you had charmed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but but that's a little different as well. So or Sabrina, yeah. <laughs> oh well, man. Well, what would you, uh, if you were to give this film a ranking? So we on this show we like to rank things uh, in terms of Tusk, based on the great Kevin Smith film Tusk. And so it's uh, <laughs> zero Tusk being a terrible movie, five Tusk being a perfect movie. Where would you rank this in ter- overall? Like taking into account um, mm. itself as a film and and just how sort of how it presents. Uh, a practice that you participate in overall, if, if, you know, a broom to your head, how would you, how would you rank the witch? Broom to my head and taking in all the symbolism, I would give it a uh, 7.5 task. Oh, nice. Broke the system. Yeah. I'm going to give it 10 task. Oh. oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's a great film. Again, you know, uh, doesn't do much in terms of changing the perceptions of what witchcraft is, especially relates to, you know, its connection with you know, Satanism, um, which isn't even mm-hmm. representative of modern Satanism. But in terms of just a film, taking a fable that we're all familiar with and introducing an aspect of it that um, is relative to today or relatable to today mm-hmm. and uh, is a mastercraft in filmmaking, I thought this one we just really hit it out of the park. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was so beautiful. So we have a few audience questions if you'd like to answer those with me. Yay. Yes, of course. Questions from the Correct. This concerns everyone asks, if there wasn't is, then how come does, won't, ain't? Can you repeat the question, please? Sure. <laughs> if ever there wasn't is... Then how come does won't ain't? Hmm. I feel like I need to see this written down. I mean, I, I'm reading it verbatim. For, I, I think this is for you, definitely. Well, like, <laughs> uh, if I'm if I am to interpret this correctly, my answer is it's because time is a flat circle, and it exists all at once, and in some and there are parallel universes within the multiverse, and somewhere this gibberish must make sense and so the answer is 11 you always double down on 11 all right next question (laughs) please though actually i will say you know what it's so true though uh this i this is a theme i think that's coming up um the reality is basically one big vr game and actually someone sent me this link to this uh um, document from the CIA where he basically like that proves that we are living in a simulation. So maybe I'll have to like, yeah, I'll have to uh, send, send you that later and we can talk about that another time, but absolutely. Yeah. I think there is a yeah. world in which um, uh, 
quantum physics and you know ceremonial magic and witchcraft and paganism are starting to align in a way that you know a lot of hardcore science people maybe don't see it and um Mm -hmm. it's at least answering questions like um i forget if it's neutrons or electrons don't don't function unless they're being viewed yeah yeah so some crazy stuff so yeah it does tie into them it does tie into the movie because you know we are slowly realizing that there's so much to science that is beyond the eye and you know beyond what we thought was possible and that is part of the movie it's i think a lot to do with what we um what's not you know necessarily visual it's more the symbolism and what's going on behind the scenes right so much of it is, is intuition yeah and that's sure. one thing that that science doesn't always very cleanly or even psychology cleanly address and um, mm. that's where i think a little bit you know to me magic has always been it's the poetry of science and um you're right this movie does address several of those so maybe this is just this concerns everyone's poetry and so we will celebrate it and we celebrate you and namaste. Yeah. Mm. Okay, next question. Sam V. Blair asks, what are some of your favorite movies about witches? So we've established that the witch, although amazing, doesn't really do much in terms of uh, highlight witchcraft in a positive manner. But what are some of your favorite movies? If you had to like list one or two that you just always go back to and love that or maybe that even inspired you. Oh my gosh, this is so, I'm so embarrassed right now because like the first movie that's coming to mind is The Craft, but, but like I don't answer. want like, oh, oh good, because <laughs> I was like about to say that and run away. I, <laughs> I love that movie. That movie's so Me great. Me too. Me too. It, it, it's like empowering. There's a bit of like, you know, deviousness, but it's not like you know, complete, it's not like baby eating levels. I'm like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and it, and it's, um, okay. Like, you know, all movies are somewhat stylized, but I thought in that film, they did a good job of showing like what witchcraft kind of really is. And then they gave it the sort of the really magic supernatural, you know, levi- levitating kind of spin, but mm-hmm. it also showcased that there's different ways to practice it. And when anytime yeah. anyone harnesses any kind of power, you can use it for good or you can use it for bad. You can be a good witch or a bad witch. Mm-hmm. And I thought yeah. that movie did a good job of that. I thought, um, is it just called Witches? The Witches? What was that movie with Angela uh, Houston? Angelica Houston? Mm. You remember that movie? Um, mm. I made Lil Young for that one. It's good. <laughs> it's a little bit, of, it's sort of like a Disney And I horror. wasn't allowed to, I grew up in a very conservative family, so I wasn't allowed to watch anything. So You're Thomason. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so I... Exactly. <laughs> so I do relate to her in so many ways. We um, kind of look like Thomason too. So there's a lot of parallels there. Oh, thank you. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, so I'm not sure which movie you're referring to. There, but... So there's this movie called, I think it's just called The Witches or maybe just Witches, okay. but it's with Angelica Houston. And mm. it's one of those sort of Disney horrors. Like it's kind of, it's not really scary, but if you were a little kid, it might've been scary. The makeup effects mm-hmm. are awesome. Just Google it. Just look at the makeup effects and that should be enough. Plus Angelica Houston kills it in that role. So for me, I'd say witches. I'd say the craft. Nice. I didn't like American Horror Story Coven. I know a lot of people did. It didn't do anything for me. I, I liked some of it. Um, like you were um, saying earlier, I don't think that um, they portrayed witches in the light that I would like to portray them in. But some of the aesthetic and music and everything, I, I did dig. So that was cool. But, um, I mean, I did like The Love Witch. That, but, again, another witch that is not portrayed well right. at all. <laughs> so um, I do have another really embarrassing answer to that question, <laughs> though. Like, even more embarrassing than The Craft. And... <laughs> It's not even a movie, which is even worse. But I actually, a lot of my magical inspiration, especially at an early age, did come from anime and Japanese films. They have this way of um, actually addressing, they, they 
have this way of portraying magic in this very like fun, but also really deep way that addresses various parts of um, the psyche and, you know, inner demons and the shadow self right. and everything else. So like a lot of alchemy themes as well that I really like. So well, there's a lot of, I feel like, I feel like in Japanese anime, they tackled spirituality in a way that is very different than we do in the West and is way mm. more complex. Like Death Note is one of my favorite anime. Yes. And, you know, it's got a death god. And it, it doesn't, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It doesn't portray it in like a, the, I mean, I'm not talking about the Netflix movie because that was, goes in the bin. <laughs> That's the 2020 yeah. movies. But, um, but I, I think that they, they, they have a, they have a, a, a better recollection or um, understanding of spirituality and they feel it seems like they feel way more comfortable implementing it because they're not humstrung by, you know, Christian dogmatic past that makes mm-hmm. it have to be like Christians are the good guys and the devil is the bad guy. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. I, that's exactly why I, I am drawn to Japanese film and anime and it, and it really does bring up the point that it is hard to find a Western American American movie that portrays magic and witchcraft in its true form. Like it's well, surprising. I think I, I think it's sad too because um, witchcraft, and paganism, and ceremonial magic are are you know sort of born of the Middle East, but they've you know gr- grew to prominence in um, Western culture, like European culture, you know, mm-hmm. whereas um, Eastern culture, Japanese culture would have been more um, connected to like Buddhism and, and things of that nature. And so mm-hmm. um, I think, it, I think it really speaks to the way the different beliefs exist. Whereas, you know, yeah. if you look at Buddhism as an example, that's more philosophical. Whereas um, Christianity tends to be very dogmatic. It's very belief oriented and I think that that has a very profound effect on art and how art expresses spirituality based on just how it functions in our everyday life. Cool. 100% right. agree. <laughs> oh, right. actually, I, one, one last thing. I think that, like, <laughs> I think that if you had to, like, off the top of my head, I actually am not a huge film person just uh, from – being young and not being allowed to watch anything, I just got into this habit of not watching a lot of movies. But it's like almost if you had to pick movies that represented magic in its true form, American movies, then you'd almost like be tempted to choose like Star Wars or something. Yes. <laughs> like the Force yeah. is like an accurate accurate portrayal of using magic you absolutely. know <laughs> absolutely and it's way as stylized and as sci-fi as that is you're right as far as um the usage of magic as as most people consider magic right mm-hmm. in, in modern era <laughs> uh that movie probably comes the closest yeah it's, that's a very astute um uh, <laughs> reference okay Thanks. let's go to the next question the Slasher app asks, what are the top three challenges indie filmmakers face and how do they overcome them? Uh, use magic. That's how you overcome them. <laughs> um, you know, the, the top three things, I mean, there's money and there's time and there's quality and um, preparation and belief and attitude go a very long way into solving some of these things. You know, The Witch only had a budget of like $3.5 million, which is for a film very small. Not, not micro, but like pretty damn small. And I think they shot like in Canada and they got some incentives and what have you, which probably made the, the shooting budget closer to say like five or something. But still, that's relatively small. And, um, but they, it was a very well-written script and it was written to the location and it was just very smartly conceived. I think I... I read somewhere that the um, Robert Eggers producing group like spent months researching like authentic dialect and props and everything to the T was as, as authentic as it could be. So, you know, a lot of indie filmmakers have it, have very little time to shoot, but they've got all the time in the world to conceive their ideas because it's not like the studio is knocking on their door for it. 
you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you, your, your ability to get a film made is dependent on how much time you put into it. So put a lot of time, thought and intentions into something, really put your efforts into it and you'll see it being manifested in a way that is successful, which sounds very similar to some <laughs> of the beliefs of magic. Definitely. <laughs> so yeah. like I said at the top, if you want to solve these things, uh, add a little magic into your life and mm. it's going to reprogram the way you approach projects and difficulties and challenges and, and even your art form. And it will hopefully elevate it to something that is what you imagine. Jason Nedick asks, can you describe the concept of practical magic and what it isn't? So we, we touched a little bit about this at the top of the show, but, but, you know, just to give everyone a really solid baseline as to what natural magic is and what it's not and really dispel some of the myths around it. You know, let's, let's give the audience a little bit of a, a peek behind the curtain. Oh, that's, and you're going to make me start first. <laughs> that's course. a tough question. Like, oh my gosh. Because like I said, at the very beginning, magic is, is embodying whatever you need to be and creating whatever you need at the time. So um, uh, practical magic, something that I would, a way that I would describe it um, would be to draw upon the energies around you, um, the energies of the collective consciousness and um, the energies within yourself and, and directing those energies um, in specific ways to create and attract what you want um, but there are endless ways of doing this. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean it can, me no, it could be as simple, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, homeopathy, for example, um, mm -hmm. even things, you know, you know, a lot of homeopathy and look fair in fairness gets a lot of scrutiny, but there are things that even when I was a kid was seen as uh, not real science. So, you know, things like, um, you know, yoga, mm -hmm. even, right? That was just not something embedded in our culture, even as when I was a teenager, you know, it was very, mm -hmm. it was relegated to very few fringy people. And now everyone does yoga, right? I, you know, football players are doing yoga, uh, you know, MMA fighters, you know, it's no longer just mm -hmm. seen as a, an Eastern thing or even a feminine thing. It's sort of for everyone. Um, yeah. You know, CBD, for example, and using cannabis for medicinal purposes is something that shamans use forever, right? Mm -hmm. To elicit, you know, deeper thoughts, better creativity, um, you know, things of that nature. And now more and more, it's starting to become something that is respected and, and uh, normalized, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. going back to the earth and finding ways to use what, grows in the earth to heal us versus what's created in a factory or in chemical lab is a part of witchcraft. I think it's a very real part of witchcraft. I think mm -hmm. also another thing that I've seen is a return to, you know, celebrating nature in its different phases. So like in America, we have all these arbitrary holidays many of which are based in like Roman Catholicism, some of which are just random, random things, you know, like Memorial mm -hmm. day is a day to celebrate soldiers. We just made that up, you know? Um, and there's nothing really outside of, uh, you know, the pattern of it being in our life. There's nothing really connected to that in terms of the way the earth operates, you know, versus yes. celebrating the solstices mm -hmm when the day is the longest or the day is the shortest, right? Celebrating the equinoxes when um, certain constellations are in the sky. These are ways to celebrate the, the ever-changing earth since the ancient Sumerians, you know? Yeah. The, the most ancient of societies didn't have the luxury of all of our computers and technology. They had to use the stars and they had to calculate things, you know, like the ages of the stars – last for over 2000 years. 
So how did this very primitive society create these giant monuments, these giant pyramids, like the Egyptians, you know, like the mathematics that are created, like the Mayans and the Aztecs. These are cultures that don't have all this technological advancement like we consider it. And yet they were able to create wonder, literal wonders of the world. And so um, that's another aspect of it is turning back towards the stars and, and maybe not relying on some of the arbitrary cultural things we've created, but kind of returning to our roots in some ways. That's yeah, that's so beautiful. And, and it does tie into the, the energetic component of it as well, because when you're doing that, when you're, you know, using various herbs and, um, tapping into the, the phases of the moon and everything, you are tapping into all of those ancient energies um, and everything, all, you know, it's quantum physics. You're tapping into the various energies that exist right. behind right. the veil, like, you know, behind the scenes. And um, when you are able to do that, that's when um, you can, you know, really elevate yourself and your mind, get yourself organized talk about practical you really like are able to do things that a lot of people would say well that's not really magic you know it you you are able to organize your life and your thoughts better and that's not exactly magic in itself but then the crazy thing is that when you um do tap into these energies and get organized within yourself the, the real magic kicks in because you're able to attract things to you um that you weren't able to attract before things that, i mean this is we, i could talk about this for an hour but um <laughs> or more but um yeah my view of practical magic is very complicated <laughs> so well, it, it's, yeah but it's it, i think you're right you know there's a line in um one of the marvel movies where thor says what you call magic we call science Mm-hmm. And if you if you look at like a Crowley and his belief in the system and the Golden Dawn, it's the um, the goals. The, let's see, the goals of religion with the means of science, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, especially really hardcore science people, they think it's just ah, oh, it's just made up because they don't take any time to think about it. But, you know, but mm-hmm. over time, things that were once considered magic become legitimized. And then they start being called like psychoanalysis, right? Or they start being called yoga or they start being called mindful meditation, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mindfulness is being incorporated into almost every modern, um, you know, modern psychology program that people are using for various, you know, various anxieties, depression, et cetera. Absolutely. Mindfulness is like one of the core concepts. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was talking to a producer friend of mine earlier and, um, you know, we were asking each other what we'd done over the quarantine time. And one of the things that I spent a lot of time with was meditation and ritual magic and, um, and hypnotherapy. Hypnotherapy is another one of those things where just a few years ago was seen as pseudoscience. But you start to see more and more, and my my producer friend's eyes, you know, and ears perked up, and was like, "I'd love to have, if you could share that contact with me," and um, you know what that uses is repetition, it uses mm-hmm. um, affirmation, it uses placement of thought, suggestion, and uh, a variety of tones and frequencies to, again, reprogram and re- rewire your brain, and so. Yeah. You know, the things that were called magic just even a few decades ago, much less a couple hundred years ago, are the things that over time people place other names to feel more comfortable with them, but they all started with magic. And yeah. and I think if you turn your life towards seeking the magic in the world, uh, it doesn't really matter. You, you, it doesn't really, it's, it's not flying in the air. It's not, um, you know, it's not turning people into warthogs or stuff like that, but, but you'd be... I mean, you wouldn't be because you understand, but like, I think people would be really surprised the really strong impact it can have over their life that is maybe not being fulfilled with the current modern accepted practices. Yes, definitely. Um, 
That makes me think of um, another way to explain practical magic, and that that would be that um, modern medicine and science they will teach you how to access the your physical body and your um, most uh, well traditional psychology teaches you how to work on your mind, but magic really gives you this, if you're doing it right, it gives you this um, greater access to your subconscious mind. Right. And that is where, like, that is where magic, real magic can be created. And maybe it's not flying, but you can still, you can still (laughs) get closer to flying with the subconscious mind than you can with, you know, the physical world or the mental world, which is a little bit different than subconscious, but yeah, 100%. In deep. <laughs> especially if you got some of those psychedelically lathered brooms, then you will oh definitely God, be flying yeah. high. And I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of listeners that are wanting to be hitting you up to find out where they can purchase their own. <laughs> Look brooms. what I started. Oh no. It's going to be a new trend on Etsy, magic brooms. <laughs> I know. I know. I can't wait to go and like look that up after this. <laughs> it's perfect. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I've really enjoyed having you on. It's really great to get the perspective of a real practitioner on a movie like this, especially one that was, you know, really well regarded. But look at it from a different perspective. Look at that from the perspective of someone who actually practices witchcraft and celebrates it and uh, elevates it and is trying to get the word out so that more people, you know, if it works for them, we're not trying to pitch you anything but if it works for you you know see if it makes a positive impact on your life so thank you again for coming on um please we'll come back we'll talk about the love witch next time and and get deeper into that subject yeah thank you so much it's a tough world out there right now but hopefully um people are able to summon a bit of magic into their lives in the meanwhile so and thank when you in doubt, so much absolutely when in doubt look towards the stars Definitely. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Grounded in the Stars Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. 